Welcome to Invention, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Invention. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to be exploring the invention of the pencil. Yes. Like like most of you, we grew up with pencils, the good old-fashioned wooden variety. But of course, uh, you know, the whole exercise of having to keep the, you know, keep them sharpened, dealing with breaks, dealing with, oh, I always hate when the the eraser either rubs off or falls out Mm -hmm. and then you go to erase something and you just get that hard, like I'm getting the chills even thinking about it of the metal of the, uh, of an eraserless pencil scraping against your text. Ooh. Or, or uh, oh, another thing I hate is when you get like an older pencil out of your grandmother's writing desk, mm-hmm. and it has one of those petrified erasers that does nothing. Uh huh. And you start <laughs> chewing on it, only to realize it has lead paint. Ugh. Well, I, that chewing on them is another th- issue altogether. But but I remember, you know, eventually being done, feeling done with the the old-fashioned wooden pencil, and then I embrace the mechanical pencil instead. Wait, wait, wait. You mean done like I'm never going to use a wooden pencil again? Basically, yeah. It's like, what? Mechanical pencils exist? Goodbye, wooden pencil. I'm done with you and sharpness. Death to pencils, just no more. Basically. And, uh, you know, also, I think at the, the time being, uh, you know, essentially a, still a child, like there was the gadgetry of it, right? Suddenly, oh, I, I, there's this plastic uh, cylinder, or I remember the fancy one where you had to like load the little uh, purchased lead uh, um, uh, into the back of the pencil and you know and then you're having to click it to get it. I mean ultimately it's another headache right mm-hmm. because it still breaks you still have to reload it you have to draw you end up dropping those little uh, uh, tiny leads all over the place I, and, I never liked mechanical pencils I think I always have had too heavy of a hand when writing I pressed down too hard and mm-hmm. so the mechanical pencil lead would always just snap instantly I also as a heavy doodler one of the things I noticed is that with the mechanical pencil, you pretty much always have the same um – you can, you're always making the same uh, thickness of line for the most part. Yeah, tiny gauge. Yeah. yeah. But with a pencil, as it dulls, you can – and even if it's not dulled, you can do more things on the paper when you're drawing, you know, goblins and castles in the margins of your notes. Yes, the cone of graphite becomes something that you can angle to its flat side if you want to sort of like shade more. Yeah, it's it's much more versatile, I believe. Yeah, but, but either way, even as I grew tired of the mechanical pencil, I fell into the arms of the word processor. Right. Uh, which – I mean, that's a whole whole episode of invention unto itself. The word processor is amazing. Uh, it, it, it it changed the way I wrote. It defines the way I write today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to a certain extent, I guess I, I kind of thought I was done with anything aside from, you know, occasional Sharpies and, uh, and markers uh, and, uh, you know, ink pens for when you have to sign something, I guess, or to make a quick note. But otherwise, I was like, oh, I don't need to consider pencils ever again. But then two things happened. Uh, first, um, uh, I ended up uh, becoming a parent. So mm-hmm. I have a child who's going through elementary school, and suddenly pencils, old-fashioned pencils, were flowing back into my household. I were having to buy sharpeners. And I had to acknowledge, you know, given his schooling and he's learning to write and spell and doing a lot of physical homework in addition to uh, digital homework, uh, the pencil, the old-fashioned pencil, is, is really wonderful technology. I, I've got a question that comes from this, actually. Why is it that we associate pencils with childhood and pens with adulthood? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, okay, part of it, I think, is is the, the eraser aspect of it, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that as you're learning, you will be making mistakes. 
and you will need to correct <laughs> things. And then adults and, make mistakes. Oh no, yeah. I, I, obviously. But perhaps there is this idea as adults that we don't make mistakes, or we shouldn't be making mistakes, uh-huh. or. You know, when we make a state, mistakes, we'll just cross it out. We don't have – we're not turning our work into a, a supervisor, uh, you know, to a teacher anymore. We can uh, – these are notes are mostly for my own purposes and therefore I can do what I want. With adults, it's more important to have a constant reminder of your mistake as a big scratched out blot on the page staring back at you <laughs> rather than something that you can erase all evidence of. Right. Now, of course, there are – some of you may be saying, oh, well, there are erasable pins. I definitely remember erasable pins. Oh, those were horrible. Yeah, I, I was never a huge fan of them. But, but they did. It exists, just to acknowledge. But another thing that has very recently happened happened to me, uh, really in the last month, is after like a five-year period of being a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons, I became a player again under another dungeon master. So I had my physical character sheet. Uh, again, one can use a digital character sheet, but I prefer the paper. And if you're going to be writing down a bunch of stats and belongings, you know, recording how much gold your character has, how many experience points, their hit points, etc., it really behooves you to have an erasable, an erasable um, uh, pencil, uh, to have a pencil at your disposal for this. So I, I find myself using an old-fashioned pencil once more and not only appreciating it but marveling at the um, – at the perfection of the device, of, of this invention, of this writing implement, the pencil. I got to ask, do you go uh, like full-on pencil, long thing with the eraser, or are you kind of a golf pencil game? I am not a golf pencil person. No, what I'm really digging right now, uh, and this feels a little extravagant uh, when I compare it to my childhood experience with pencils, uh-huh. uh, pre-sharpened uh, Ticonderoga pencils uh, that come in the box, already sharpened. You just take them out. They're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to be just completely reckless, and I don't recommend this, you could like basically pull one out, write with it until it breaks, and then just throw it away. But don't do that. Obviously, but and but that's why I think it feels kind of extravagant because I remember just using pencils until they were just gone. You oh, know? I, I loved it actually. I really enjoyed getting a pencil down to the like the one inch <laughs> zone. I thought that was fun. Yeah, where it had yeah, no no length on the pencil, no eraser remaining. Where I remember the replacement erasers that you put on the end of the pencil. Oh yeah, 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 yeah that fit over the end. Yeah, yeah, which which really I found did not work all that well. You'd go to mm-hmm. erase something, it just come off. But right, it would break. Yeah, yeah, but sometimes they looked cool. They're brightly colored, and yeah, you, you kind of end up. That was the thing too. I remember just fetishizing uh, writing implements as a child. You know, did you ever have one of those gigantic novelty parallelogram erasers? The standalone eraser that's a parallelogram with the bent sides. Ooh, very I, big. I don't think I had one. I tend to have tended to have the gum eraser, like that dark brown. You know, just a just a, a triangular chunk. Do you remember this one? It's no, like an art I don't. Eraser. No, yeah, no, I would, I, I would have that. I know nothing of this. <laughs> this is outside my world. Well, they're nice, especially if you're if you're engaging in uh, you know uh, you know pencil art. It's good to have like a nice art eraser, art gum eraser on the side. Now you might wonder, like, well, how much could actually be out there about the pencil? You know, there's somebody, a scholar of engineering, who wrote an entire book about the history and invention of the pencil, as like an in- from an engineer's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a book by Henry Petrosky called "The Pencil: A History of Design and Circumstance," uh, published by Alfred A. Knopf in 1992. And Petrosky is an American engineer and a professor of civil engineering at Duke University. Uh, I haven't finished 
finished reading this whole book yet. It is a huge book about pencils. It, and it but, is it is great. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in more than one sense. In one sense, if you find any article online about the pencil, this book is inevitably cited. Uh-huh. Like he is the authority on pencils. And then on the other hand, this is not a dry read. It is so – like he has an incredible time just taking the, the pencil's history apart, contemplating what it means, what it says about the human experience, yes, what it says about innovation and invention. It's extremely contemplative and full of what almost feels like oratory. Yeah. Often the book feels like it is, it is a, a speech that would have been delivered in ancient Rome about like the virtues of engineering. Yeah. Or, or like there's almost a religious flair to it. Like, hello, my name is Henry Petrosky and I would like to tell you about the pencil. <laughs> So, yeah, th- this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's one reason it made me think I'm, – I'm not sure yet whether this is going to be our one episode about the pencil or maybe we'll need to explore more. Maybe we'll have to right. come back. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it because as we explore the pencil, we're going to have to talk about a n- number of other writing implements and we're going to have to talk about the eraser as well. So uh, let's let's go ahead and dive in. Generally, our, uh, our format on this show is to begin with what came before. Right. Now, because, obviously, yeah, pencils haven't been here forever. We know writing predates the pencil. So, so what does that world look like? All right. Well, let's just think for a second about writing uh, implements. At, at a very basic level, the act of writing or even drawing requires you to either add to a given surface, subtract from a given surface, or just in some way disrupt an existing layer or a pile of particles, Right. And the most basic tool to do this is, of course, the human finger. Right. So with the finger in mind, you can even pull yours out and look at it right now. Oh. Um, the, let's, let's consider a few examples. So first of all, the additive model. So if you were to dab your finger in dye, in oil, in blood, or smear it with ash, and then trace a few lines on a surface, that is uh, you know, additive writing, that you're adding to something to create the effect. Right. Uh, then there is subtractive. Okay, if you used your fingernail to scratch a few lines into a surface by removing the outer layers, such as uh, you know layers of bark on a tree, a stone face, you know, paint on a house or on a, a metal sign, that sort of thing, then you are subtracting from it to make your mark. And both of these methods of making marks go far back into prehistory. Like if you look at uh, cave paintings or mm-hmm. petroglyphs, some of these are going to be additive where, you know, they've created some kind of pigment out of something and then painted that onto cave walls. Others are going to be subtractive where you see carvings that are left behind as indentations. Right. And then there's this other area which is, is kind of in between and that's just disruption. So if you were to try Trace these same lines through, say, the accumulated dust on a given surface or the accumulated ash uh, following, say, uh, you know, volcanic eruption. It's the perfect way to use your finger as a writing implement when you realize that you can write wash me on the dusty back yes. of somebody's car. Right. Uh, but even without say, surfaces like that, you know, you can, you can write in the, uh, in the dirt or in the sand with your finger. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not quite subtraction or addition. It is just more of a di- disruption of the uh, – uh, um, of what is before you. Mm-hmm. So that's just a basic way to, to look at it. But of course, humans didn't just create language. They also created tools. So the, the finger is just the beginning. Uh, let's consider a few more examples of each of these forms of writing. Uh, but instead of stopping at the finger, we'll go beyond the finger into instruments. Let's insert the beyond the finger music. <laughs> Beyond the finger. 
All right, going beyond the finger. So let's start with both the subtractive and disruption, sort of you know putting them together into one category here. I think a fine example of this is the use of a stylus to make marks in a wax or clay tablet. And this was used from ancient times well into the Middle Ages. Yeah, I think probably it would be the oldest examples of like character-based writing we have, mm-hmm. right, would be, uh, you know, from like ancient Mesopotamia uh, make, using stylus to make indentations in like a clay or wax surface. And for a, a more modern example, I think you have some of these novelty toys where you use um, a magnetic stylus to move around iron filings. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, generally you're not maybe writing something. You're more like putting a mustache of iron filings onto a cartoon face. Mm-hmm. But, but that, I think, also uh, is an example of what we're talking about here. Now, speaking of, uh, of, of the stylus or, or styles, which I believe is the plural, um, Petrovsky writes that iron styles were known to be often misused in Roman times because one of the things about a fine-tipped uh, metal object is you can also use them to stab people. Right. Uh, so, uh, so sometimes they were banned in favor of ivory or other materials, which, of course, begs the question, you know, can't you stab somebody with ivory? Obviously, you can. I mean, you can stab somebody with a number two pencil if it's sharpened enough. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I don't entirely understand the prohibition there. Uh, but uh, lead was also a particularly favored material at the time as well. Yeah, so, and we can come back to that. Yes. Uh, now let's talk about additive uh, writing implements. The use of chalk and slate uh, is a great example, and that goes uh, back at least to like the 8th century. Uh, and the, the use of ink on a brush or in a pen is another good example. The history of, of the ink pen We'll have to, I think, wait for another episode of this show. But suffice to say that reed pens were used in ancient Egypt 5,000 years ago and are still used today in some places. Quills have been used for this purpose as well, as have metal nibs. The ink pen with uh, a reservoir dates back seemingly at least as far as the 10th century CE uh, to uh, northern Africa. And then, of course, the pencil, the modern pencil that we're talking about in this episode, uh, this is additive as well. Um, an, an additive method that uses a graphite cord length of wood sharpened on one end and capped with a rubber eraser on the other. Though, of course, sometimes you'll still find pencils that are either uh, not capped uh, with an eraser or capped with, uh, with just metal. Yeah. Your golf pencil is not capped. Yeah. That's the, that's the, uh, the low-rent version. Right. <laughs> Well, maybe we should take a break, and when we come back, we can discuss the pencil in terms of names and materials. All right, we're back. So let's start with the name of this invention itself. Yes. So it turns out the name of the pencil actually predates what we would think of as a pencil, which is this thing made of wood with a, or even, you know, a mechanical pencil either way with a letter graphite core inside, the, the eraser on the back. Things b- that were really not much like that were called a pencil long before this existed. That's right. According to Petrosky, this refers to the penicillin brush. Um, which uh, this was the the Latin name for a writing instrument that consisted of a tuft of animal hair that was inserted into a hollow reed. So uh, if if you can imagine, yeah, you Mm -hmm. have have this this tuft of animal hair that I think is like kind of curled and shaped, and then uh, you insert that through 
a hollowed out reed, a hollow reed, and then uh, the, that way you're holding the reed on the outside, but in the in the interior of it is this uh, this animal hair. Right. So what you would have is a a long solid implement. I believe it would be the same length or so of a pencil of today. But then out the end of it, you would have a fine gathering of animal hairs all clumped together by the opening at the end of the reed. So what it would create is this fine tipped little brush. Yeah, and, in, and to a certain extent, it, it reminds one of various animal tales. Yeah. And in this, we kind of get into the, the curious history of the, the word, the name itself. And, and also, uh, I think we, we touch on the, the euphemism treadmill yeah. uh, that we've discussed on Stuff to Blow Your Mind in the past. Because the Latin name stems from penisolus, the, uh, for, the, for brush, which is a diminutive form of the word penis, which is Latin for tail. So a pencil is literally a little tail. Yes. And if you're wondering, I did look it up. Uh, was the word penis in Latin, did that actually ever mean penis like it does in English today? Apparently, sometimes it did. But originally, what it meant was tail. And then mm-hmm. again, through some like process of euphemisms or whatever or associations, it also came to mean what it means in English today. So call it what you will. Uh, let's consider the particular strengths of the modern pencil uh, based on what we've been talking about so far. So first of all, it is portable. It is highly portable. Nice. It is smudge-proof to a very large degree, at least when you – yes, you can smudge pencil uh, etchings, but compare it to ink, compare it to uh, chalk on a board, uh, it's – I think it's it's uh, safe to say that it's pretty smudge-free. It's less messy than uh, most of these other forms of writing. Mm-hmm. It is erasable on untreated paper and uh, certainly today anyway, it is inexpensive. Uh, people regularly treat the pencil like dirt. Uh, I, I, I'll walk my son into school and there'll be like a pencil in a mud puddle. And, um, and of course, I've kind of been broken by our disposable culture uh, to where I would just pass it by. He'll stop. He'll pick it up out of the mud puddle and be like, look, here's a pencil. We should save this. <laughs> and sometimes I have to Aww. say, oh, I think you're right. Leia, the eraser looks pretty good on that one. It's, uh, it's even still sharpened. OK, let's dry it off. That's the sweetest thing, saving a pencil. Yeah, I mean, and I, I agree with him now that I'm, I'm forcing myself to uh, respect the pencil a lot more. Now, by Roman times, I think Petrosky uh, points out that you have two different uh, threads of technology that would eventually unite to become the pencil we have today. Because in those times, we had the penicillum, the brush, the reed with mm-hmm. the, the hair through it. And that, that would sort of supply the elements that you think of, of like a long thing that you can hold in your hand to write with. It's rigid and it makes a dark, fine mark on the page. And, but the other thing he points out is that at the time, lead was literally used as a writing implement. And this would have been real lead, not the graphite of today. Uh, so, the, you know, there, there are several reasons that r- lead would be useful as a writing implement. Number one is very soft and so it can rub off on a writing surface to easily leave a mark. But that mark, if you were just like holding a chunk of lead in your hand to write with, the mark would probably not be very dark. It would be kind of light colored and it would not be uh, – and it would not necessarily be very permanent. Maybe it could easily get rubbed off and also kind of be hard to hold the chunk in your hand as you're writing. So it seems like these two things could ultimately kind of converge, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, a quick note on lead. Uh, for starters, there is an older episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, our other podcast, titled Cupid's uh, Laden Arrow, 
which is about lead uh, and about the history of lead and how lead was used. And we get into a lot of Roman uses of lead in that mm-hmm. as well. Another thing to, to uh, keep in mind is that uh, graphite was uh, long thought to be a form of lead and was sometimes classified as such. Uh, thus, some of our um, confusion at time regarding the lead in our pencil. Yeah, uh, but but there is a specific material reason why something like lead would have been useful for writing, and again, it's that it's soft. To the lead, the paper that you write on is kind of like sandpaper. It just mm-hmm. you know scrapes it right off and leaves some on there to be your additive marking uh, material. Absolutely. So, of course, graphite or lead or charcoal, uh, any of these things, in and of themselves – can be used as a writing implement. You could just have a chunk of um, of graphite in your hand. Uh, but do you actually want to write with that? Do you want your hand to potentially cramp? That's uh, something that Petrosky touches on a number of times, is that you need a writing implement that is not s- too big or too small. Uh, like if you had to write with a golfing pencil all the time, like a golfing pencil is ideal because ultimately you're not writing uh, – you're, you're only going to be so verbose while you're keeping score during a golf game. You just right. need to jot down a few numbers here and there. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, you know introductory paragraph or a self-reflection essay. Right. Only needs to be useful enough to cheat. Right. Another question is, do you want that graphite or lead uh, all over your hand and your fingers and then potentially all over your work surface while you're writing, uh, thus the need to encase it in something, much like the reed casing um, of the, uh, the sort of, you know, the earlier pencil, the uh, penicillin that we discussed earlier? So, so there's that um, side of the advancement. The other side of the advancement, of course, is that paper became increasingly cheaper. And uh, graphite then was an increasingly favored means of etching on it, especially after a deposit of fine graphite was unearthed in Cumbria, England during the 1500s. Uh, by the way, in this region today, you'll find the Derwent Pencil Museum in uh, what is now Keswick. Uh, they have the largest colored pencil in the world. Ah, that sounds like something worth stopping on your road trip for. Right. Now, I did note that they they specify largest colored pencil in the world, which makes me think there must be an (laughs) even larger just graphite pencil somewhere in the world, but I do not know where that is. Uh, So I would love to hear from our listeners if they know where we can find such a Titan pencil. It's got to be in Florida. So I was reading another uh, article on this. This one came from Howard J. Bennett uh, in the Washington Post. There was an article, uh, Ever Wondered About the Lead in Pencils? Uh, and he points out that, yes, graphite was thought to be a form of lead at the time, and this is why we still refer to the lead in the pencil. Uh, but at the time, a graphite uh, stylus was just a sawed-off stick of graphite, mm-hmm. uh, sort of like a thick crayon, um, uh, Bennett writes, with no paper wrapped around it. And you would, you would whittle down one end of it with a knife as you would, like, whittle a stick stick and then use that to write with. That doesn't sound very fun. It, it's Yeah, it's, you're gonna, just going to get graphite all over your fingers, right? Uh, Petrosky comments at length actually about the interesting phenomenon of tools and materials that are named after the original materials they were made out of but no longer are made out of those oh, materials. Yes. So you've yeah. got the lead in a pencil, the uh, the silverware you use, which is made out of stainless steel. And he talks about how I think in England uh, erasers are often called rubbers even though they're probably now made out of some petroleum product. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's like we, we – the, the terminology sticks even though the material changes. Right. So in the late 1500s, people began gluing graphite rods inside wooden sleeves because that's essentially what we're talking about here with a pencil. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though, you know, generally I'm looking at a pencil right now and 
you, you certainly do not do not get that sense from looking at the the modern version of it. You don't feel like this is a thing that was assembled. It almost feels like something that was grown. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. And certainly manufacturing processes have changed uh, somewhat since then. But at any rate, 1500s, something like the modern pencil uh, comes into the world. So you might be wondering then if we have any actual names or places to consider here. So if you go to the Wikipedia entry for pencils, Mm -hmm. and it's a logical place to go. We're Wikipedia fans here. I I think we've discussed in this this show or Stuff to Blow Your Mind before that Wikipedia is uh, an increasingly – good place to get like a general idea of what's going on with a topic and sometimes a very in-depth look at a particular topic. N- not a good final source, I would right. say, because, you know, anybody can edit it. But yeah, it's often a great place to start out. But if, if you do go to Wikipedia's entry for pencils, you'll find Simonio and Lindiana Bernacotti credited with this advancement uh, circa 1560 in Italy. Okay. So the sources on this are a Rocket City Space Pioneers page, Hmm. uh, which had a short article titled, Who Invented the Pencil? Despite the Rocket City Space Pioneers having been a past Google uh, Lunar X Prize participant uh, and not really, you know, a website associated with the history of writing implements. That's interesting. It also cites a history of information.com website written by Jeremy Norman, uh, who wrote, uh, quote, uh, Simonio and uh, Lidiana Bernacotti are believed to have created the first carpentry pencil. They did this by hollowing out a stick of juniper wood. Okay. Those don't necessarily sound like the most solid of sources. Uh, But I've also seen this line of reasoning picked up on in at least one, um, uh, you know, journal article, uh, Simplicity as a Route to Impact. Impact in Material Research by uh, Tian et al., 2017, in Advanced Materials. But I at least can't find much to back up um, or elaborate upon these individuals, uh, though perhaps I'm missing something. Uh, Petrovsky did not mention these two individuals uh, when he wrote the following in his book on pencils. Quote, exactly when and where pencils containing graphite were first made and used appears to be unrecorded, as are so many technological milestones. There are undocumented assertions that, uh, that place the discovery of the graphite that Gessner refers to as early as about 1500 and as late as 1565, the date of his book. But the scanty evidence generally points to the unearthing of the pencil's marking substance, the new unrefined mineral or English antimony, as sometime in the early 1560s in Cumberland. So this would be referring to graphite? Yes. Yeah. So that seems to be about the best we can do in terms of, you know, finding, you know, because we, we do always want, we always want to find that eureka moment. You always want to find that, that first individual and the cool story about how they, you know, accidentally invented the pencil or saw it in a dream and made it a reality. Uh, but like you said, sometimes we just don't have an answer. It just kind of emerges from what people are doing at that time. Well, this is actually something Petrosky talks about in his book a good bit, which is that much of the history of engineering is unrecorded um, mm-hmm. because for much of human history, engineering was not thought of as something that deserved to be written about. Yeah. Um, like he talks about in ancient Rome, Vitruvius, you know, writes this great treatise on architecture where it's clear that Vitruvius is, is – he really knows his stuff in terms of engineering and architecture of the day. But he's a terrible writer. Like he didn't you know, bother to go out and say like I'm going to get a better writer to do this. You know? <laughs> so you know, people have commented through the years that his Latin sucks. Um, 
But uh, but yeah, I think it's just because historically it's a fairly unusual attitude that that uh, that engineering innovation is worth being written about, and a lot of times, you know, especially worth being written about in like sources that are meant to be, you know, read by the public and sustained over time. A lot of times if we want insights uh, from literary sources on the history of engineering, you have to like look at people's diaries and letters and stuff. Yeah, and then I've, something we've seen in the past too is you'll have like a situation where there's the person who who happens upon an innovation or even an invention just in order to do – to get the work done, to get through the day, mm-hmm. you know, be it like uh, cre- essentially creating the forerunner of the jigsaw puzzle in order to be a better teacher, that sort of thing. And then there's the person who comes along and says, hmm, I bet I could make some money off of that. <laughs> I bet <laughs> right. I could mass produce that, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so no offense to the Bernicottis. I, I don't know where I, whether I buy that or not. But – I mean they may very – it very well may be true. We just do not have perhaps robust evidence uh, enough uh, – you know, to, to uh, you know, to state that that is what happened. Okay, so question mark on that. Yes, uh, but at any rate, it it certainly catches on. And then later in 1790, it was discovered that one could vary the hardness of a pencil's lead uh, by mixing powdered graphite with clay and firing it in a kiln. The more clay, the harder the lead, and this is ideal if you want a finely sharpened pencil. That won't break easily. Ah, well, that, that's the friend of the heavy-handed, like me. <laughs> yeah, and um, and and also, yeah, it allows you again to make different types of uh, lines and strokes. Right? You have the, the finely sharpened pencil, where you can do a lot of very fine work. But then, as it gets uh, duller, you can uh, you can color in those shapes. You can, you know, it, it changes how you're writing, but uh, uh, it also gives you a lot more versatility. Okay, so whoever actually invented it, we know by the 1500s, these graphite cores were being inserted into these wooden outlines. And then by the late 1700s, they they had found a better way to incorporate graphite by mixing it with the this clay. And you're getting something more like the pencil product we're familiar with. Right, yeah. And it, you know, it's inside, inside the wood. So we almost have the pencil that we uh, – the basic form of the pencil that we have today. But of course, it's missing something on one end, and that would be the eraser, which we'll get to in a bit. For now, we're going to take a break, but we will be right back to continue our exploration. All right, we're back. You know, one thing that I uh, I meant to mention earlier uh, that I think is really neat, uh, Petrovsky has a lot of little tangents and side bits of history uh, throughout this book. And in discussing like the the advantages of a pencil over other writing implements, he shares a, a little bit ab- about uh, the Scottish poet Robert Burns, who lived 1759 through 1796. And his reported fondness for writing on glass panes with a with either it, it seems to depend on who you're you know, reading on this either a diamond pointed pen or stylus or perhaps a diamond ring. Wow! Um, and uh, so he's using it to you know to etch into the glass pane, permanently um, composing poetry upon it or within it, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> And a number of these diamond point engravings can still be found throughout Scotland, though uh, some may be fakes, apparently. Uh, Not actually, Roby. Right. But, uh, but if anyone out there, has, you know, certainly if you, uh, if, if you are Scottish or if you have lived in Scotland or traveled in Scotland for any length of time and you've, uh, you've seen one of these, uh, we'd love to hear from you about it. But anyway, they're, they're often celebrated. Um, 
and, uh, and Petrovsky argues that the pencil delivers on a number of the strengths exhibited by this technique without having to rely on fine stones and vandalism. Though interestingly enough, he stresses, the graphite in a pencil is chemically the same as a diamond. Oh, yeah. The same constituents, different structure, right? right. Yeah. Oh, were my love, yon carbon fair. <laughs> All right. So coming back to the pencil itself, uh, the, the pencil was then used in Congress with ink for a long time as a way of, say, lightly marking the margins or even tracing characters before bringing in permanent ink to, uh, you know, to make it permanent and, of course, to, you know, to stand out more, you know, bright mm. black ink on parchment. Uh, but the pencil becomes steadily more important, evolving from a mere instrument among many to being the writing implement par excellence of the pre-computer world. Just think, for example, of, of how we use pencil in the English language, you know, to pencil someone or something in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, the adage about, oh, this is why pencils have erasers, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's something that may at times feel a little um, hokey today. But uh, but Petrosky actually talks about it a little bit. Like, you know, the, when it is first rolled out, I believe a, a pastor uh, used this analogy. And as, I think that is one of the, the things about the pencil that is appealing is that it, it does – on some level, even if it is a hokey level, it sums up something about the human experience. And of course, even if we're not going to wax poetic uh, about all of this, it, it is hard to imagine and hard to use a pencil without an eraser. Like the two just go hand in hand, right? Yeah. So you're probably wondering, when does the eraser affix itself to the pencil? When does this invention come along or this innovation anyway? So the concept of an eraser itself certainly predates the pencil, really, because scribes have always made mistakes. <laughs> They've always needed to remove unwanted etchings from a manuscript. I think pretty recently we got a piece of listener mail with somebody mm-hmm. uh, talking about the use of knives to scrape away ink from parchment. Yeah, because uh, when you when you have ink on parchment, especially pricey parchment, parchment that is valuable and mm-hmm. must be used and reused, uh, you're going to have to scrape it off. So you might use a small knife to do that. Um, Another thing you might use is a stone or a bit of dried wax or crustless bread was mm. a huge was, it was not just a like random thing it was like a standard that you would have the bread there were you know all these little um, uh, tangents and writings about say like the the hungry scribes succumbing to their uh, to their hunger and consuming the bread <laughs> that they were supposed to be using to uh, you know for erasure gross <laughs> but of course the spread of rubber technology ends up changing all of this. So so natural rubber had been used uh, in Mesoamerica by the Mayans and the Aztecs, uh, you know, but for uses such as the production of rubber sports balls, um, as well as I think like waterproofing and various other uh, material uh, uses, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for which rubber is very, very handy. But then the French bring this material back to uh, Europe mm-hmm. and we go from there. But then in the late 18th century, you have a British inventor and scientific instrument maker uh, come along by the name of Edward Nairn, who lived 1726 through 1806. And he starts selling cubes of rubber for erasure in 1770, claiming 
that he accidentally discovered the use of this use for rubber when he reached for bread to erase something and grabbed a chunk of rubber instead from the desk. <laughs> oh, I grabbed my trick rubber sandwich by accident. Yeah, which uh, it's a nice story, but it also sounds like a little – it's too much of a good story. You uh-huh. know? Like maybe he was just looking at it. Uh, my, my take is it seems more likely that you were just kind of looking and be like, I bet I could erase some something with that. Uh-huh. Or maybe he already ate the bread and just didn't want to admit it. Nairn's an interesting figure, even without taking into account all this, um, you know, rubber and eraser uh, uh, business, mm-hmm. uh, because he made a number of improvements to various scientific instruments of the day, including the microscope and the telescope, and he created the first successful marine barometer. Given his place in the in history, uh, it should come as no surprise that he corresponded uh, with an individual that we've talked about on the show before, none other than. Benjamin Franklin. What do you know? Ben Franklin effect. He even made a set of magnets and a telescope for Benjamin Franklin. Hmm. So uh, after uh, this uh, discovery slash innovation, the eraser soon becomes a common companion of the pencil. And Petrosky points to various pencil cases uh, uh, that uh, included an eraser, you know, pretty much like a a big – rectangular lump of an eraser that comes in the case with the pencils. Yeah, but they would have still remained separate at the not one unified instrument, just two instruments that come together. Yes, as far as we know, they did not actually come together into a single instrument uh, until the late uh, 19th century. Hmm. So who can we thank for this invention? Well, looking at Petrosky's extensive work, uh, as well as a uh, Pagan Kennedy 2013 New York Times Magazine article, Who Made That Built-In Eraser?, there are three individuals slash entities uh, to highlight here. First of all, uh, let's look at 1858. Uh, Hyman Lippmann of Philadelphia was awarded a patent for his invention of a pencil with a groove at the tip that could be uh, that could contain a glued-in hunk of rubber. And fun fact here, apparently one of Lippmann's ideas, too, was that the eraser could be embedded inside the wood shaft, just like the graphite is. <laughs> so you would have to sharpen both ends of your pencil, uh, <laughs> one to uh, allow the uh, the graphite uh, to emerge and the other to allow the eraser to emerge. Oh, maybe. So we go half and half, like half graphite, half eraser? Right, yeah. So that, uh, that Pagan Kennedy article uh, includes um, a drawing of what this might have looked like. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's an interesting alternate reality to consider. All right. Then in uh, the early 1860s, the uh, Faber firm, the key individual here being uh, uh, Eberhard Faber, uh, may have been the first company to put out eraser-tipped pencils as well as uh, as pencils that had like a metal cap on the end as well. Uh, they had an early 1860s patent for, quote, a lead pencil with an angulated rubber seal head, which serves as a seal, a preventer against rolling, and as an eraser. Mm. Uh, rolling is an interesting um, concept with the pencil, you know, because uh, you, you look at a pencil today and I, the, certainly the modern eraser you probably doesn't help prevent rolling, but the shape of the wood does. Uh, you can rest a pencil on one of its sides. Well, you're, you're talking about with like the he- hexagonal cross-section yeah. pencils, yeah, which I guess are the most common type, though I remember when I was a kid, I had perfectly round pencils and eh. Well, and I, I, I'm, I'm sure we have – we do have some perfectly round pencils in our house. I think some uh, colored pencils particularly mm-hmm. and, of course, they roll all over the place. But this, this, uh, this fine uh, Ticonderoga pencil in front of me here, it, uh, it can – I can put it on the desk and it stays put. It's very well behaved. Yes. <laughs> all right. And then uh, in 1862, 
entrepreneur Joseph uh, Reckendorfer sought to improve on Lippmann's patent. Uh, so he bought the patent for $100,000, which uh, is about $2 million in today's dollars. And then he sued uh, Faber for infringement. <laughs> As Kennedy writes, uh, if all uh, you know, if this would have held up, he would have become a titan of industry. He would have been the master of the modern eraser-tipped pencil. But uh, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in 1875 that the eraser-tipped pencil didn't count as a legitimate invention <laughs> because he was simply combining two existing and widespread inventions into a new product. So my alarm clock toaster has no hope. <laughs> well, it's kind of like there was an episode of um, uh, Flight of the Concords where there was a character who had a, a, a ca- camera phone and it was like a camera glued to a phone. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Yeah, with the, with, with the pencil eraser, you've just taken an eraser and, and fixed it on the end. I guess uh, there's an argument that you're not really inventing something. But it does feel big. It it does feel huge. I I To a certain extent, I – it's a, it's a fantastic. Feel sorry for this guy. Yeah, it's a fantastic leap forward in convenience. I I think that counts as an invention, though. I guess you you just have to have some kind of subjective judgment about how innovative the linking of the two things actually is. Yeah, one thing we forgot to to cover, uh, which I also remember from my childhood, are pencils or pens that are capped in something other than a metal tip or an a eraser. Ball. Yeah, like a kush ball uh-huh. or um, oh, I've seen them too, where you have like a a dusting implement for like a a, a computer screen, oh, this okay. sort of thing, yeah. or some sort of like toy or gadget. Oh, I had one. This this is a, a big memory for me because I remember buying it and being super proud of the purchase, and I really being proud of it for a number of years. Is that I had a Gremlins two pencil oh. that was capped in a Gremlin uh, that was as if it were like it was perched on the pencil top, like it was it was like gra- holding onto the pencil. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I love that thing. I don't think I ever sharpened it. I was so proud of it. That's so good. I wish I'd had that. I, I think I had like a Taz that could go over yeah. the back of the pencil. Yeah. Which I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to out myself as a Taz guy, but But no, it comes back to how I think as children we would fetishize the pencil and we would we would I mean a lot of times, especially I imagine in cases where you have like school uniforms, you know, you want to stand out. You want to say something with your choice of writing implement. That is very true, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it goes beyond just like decorations for the pencils. You, you'd have different kinds of pencils, like the wacky pencils, of course, that would bend around and different things. I remember oh, yes. people at my school being very into like the gel pens. Mm-hmm. That seemed almost like it, like an identity forming kind of signaler. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, speaking of the eraser, uh, Petrosky writes that. As erasers became more and more popular, there was actually kind of a, a, a backlash to them, it's kind of almost like a future shock, a technological anxiety concerning uh, uh, the erasability of text. And people were saying, well, how do, I, how do I write with a pencil so nobody erases it? How can I protect my <laughs> writings from erasure? And so there were, uh, you know, people were giving advice on how to do this or also how to treat the paper after you've written, say, with a, I think they were talking about using a milk wash on the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> um, I think that's interesting as well. Like it, it, just a reminder, yeah, that anytime there's some sort of new technology, certainly if it affects the way that we're using language or using uh, the written word, uh, it can cause a, a bit of, um, uh, you know, it can, it can stir up anxiety. It can stir up a little fear even because it's it's changing how we express ourselves, how we define ourselves. Yeah, I mean people re- – well, people reacting to the concept of an, of an invention without 
uh, considering the practicality of what it is they're worried right. about. Like it would be easier to just burn somebody's writings than to erase everything they had written down. Right. Uh, and that that burning technology has existed for quite a while. Yeah. Oh, or it also gets down to the fact of how do you how do how how does forgery work? Forgery right. comes back to the very principles of writing we began with. You can there's additive forgery, but there's also subtractive forgery. Uh-huh. You know, you can if you want to change the uh, the grade on your test that's being sent home uh, that your teacher wrote in red ink. Well, you can get yourself a red pen, and that that F becomes a B rather easily, right? <laughs> Uh, but then the truth comes to collect at the end of the semester when your final grades come in. Those That's are true. harder to alter. Yeah, you can only uh, – forgery is only going to get you so far. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, That's the pencil in a nutshell. But obviously, there are a number of different roads that we did not take here that we could easily come back to. Uh, We could discuss the pen for at least an episode because there are a number of different innovations with the ink pen over the years that are worth discussing. Um, for uh, for that matter, um, written language is a big one, um, and then various uh, forms of writing. Uh, also, rubber, uh, rubber technology, uh, technology that comes in the, the wake of rubber. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of fun we could have with that as well. Absolutely. In the meantime, if you want to check out other episodes of Invention, uh, what you can go to inventionpod.com, and that'll shoot you over to uh, a place where you can listen to and download the show, where you can subscribe. Uh, basically, you can get the show wherever you get your podcast these days. Wherever that happens to be, just make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe. Those are the things that really help us out. And check out our other show as well, Stuff to Blow Your Mind, if you haven't already. Again, we have a, an excellent episode on lead uh, that you can check out, and we, we've cover language a lot on that show so uh it's a good place to to uh look for more on related topics huge thanks as always to our excellent audio producer seth nicholas johnson if you'd like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future or just to say hello you can email us at contact at inventionpod.com invention is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.